are the ones that, yes, they have the tool experience. They know the details of the tool, but they don't fill up on just tool knowledge. They know where to find more information if they need it. They have honed the skills on how to assess a situation, how to assess a problem, not jump immediately to, to instrumentation and know how to argue on what the solution is, you know, arguing for the solution that they determine. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. What is up? My neighbor's cutting down trees. At least it's 11 o'clock right now he started yesterday at seven in the morning so that's brutal yeah to to be fair this guy also tried to burn down our neighborhood when he started a trash burn in his backyard that got out of control oh fun so that was fun um and he and he also shot toward the houses when he was trying to kill some coyote so so he shot at the houses trying to well, towards, you know, towards in, that, the in the house, general direction, in the general direction of houses. So I'm like, you know, so, so, so tra- sawing down trees with this chainsaw at seven in the morning is probably the most acceptable of the things he typically does. So. You got, you sound like you have some fun neighbors. <laughs> most of them are amazing. This one, uh, this one is a little challenging. Nice. Nice. So. Yeah, but most of them are good. I, in fact, I, I tweeted, I tweeted to someone. I said, "Okay, you have three, three options. Is it the guy that always um, clears my walks when it snows, the other guy that brings me Hawaiian food, um, or the guy that tried to burn down the neighborhood? Which guy is sawing trees at seven in the morning?" I'm saying the guy with the Hawaiian food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to be sarcastic. Yeah. So, anyway, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. good. It's it's good. been gorgeous here. So the last two days, um, I've been working from the patio, which oh, is, nice. which is nice. Yeah. It's um, nice. so I've been able to sit outside, get some sun, and I mean that makes all the difference. I mean I know, you know I I definitely deal with seasonal the uh, is it disec- disaffective or disaffective or they they they, they you know that middle word there, but there's seasonal, a se- some kind of mood disorder. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I, yeah. I deal with that, you know, in in the winter, um, just like the lack of sunlight and all of that, and just being stuck in the house. So just something as simple as turning on the sprinkler and sitting on the patio uh, with my laptop doing work, it makes all the difference. There is there is something soothing to that sprinkler sound. Mm-hmm. It's white noise. Yeah. It, it's it's nice yeah. white noise that kind of really makes you think of the summer. So yeah. it's like 80 some degrees out, not a cloud in the sky. Nice. Oh yeah, it's nice. We got some nice blue skies here. It is currently 72. I have 75. So that that's nice. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm that jerk remote worker, everybody, or a lot of people are uh, bitching about right now that, you know, I can't be getting work done uh, sitting on the patio with my laptop. It just sucks. These remote workers and their Mm -hmm. high maintenance-ness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's probably not our our topic of of the day, but um, we're, we're seeing... We're, we're seeing the momentum of some kind of return to normalcy and people going mm-hmm. back to the office and uh, lots of lots of conversations happening um, around remote um, and uh, lots of interesting conversations happening where where people are blaming a lot of dysfunctional business practices on remote. It just seems like such an easy scapegoat for so many things. Uh, and it's so frustrating to me, but, and this is one of them, right? It's like, well, we can't trust our employees to work remote. They're going to be sitting out on the patio dinking off all day. Um, but it just, it infuriates me to no end. We saw it at the beginning of the pandemic where people were saying, well, we can't, you know, people are going to work from home, from home. What, what are they going to be doing? Dishes and laundry and, you know, sitting outside and going for walks. We can't have that. You know, it's going to, it's going to cost us productivity. And now that we're talking about going back into the office, I hear people complaining about, oh, remote work sucks. There's so many meetings because we have to have meetings to communicate. And I'm like, you guys, you're, you're missing the fundamental problem is not remote work. Absolutely. Remote work has amplified it, has made it more visible, but these are fundamental problems with how businesses operate. Mm -hmm. And, And by, by deflecting the blame to this is a remote work problem is failing to address the actual problem. And that is that the way that we've historically worked is absolutely broken. Yeah. So we're, I gonna, mean, say, well, I, we're gonna go back in the office and everything's gonna be fixed. Uh-huh, yeah. sure. I, I mean, I believe it. it is human nature to want to address, <clears throat> excuse me, the symptoms of a problem versus actually getting to the root of the problem. Because getting to the root is, is very, very hard. Whereas if there's symptoms of it, and oh it's got to be this one thing and it's not really the the root cause of it and i mean i'm oversimplifying because i just can't find the exact words i want to use here and i know that but but really i mean i think that's when it comes down to because i i've been watching the whole remote debate blow up again we're Mm. we're, we're back at it again and i mean ultimately for me as a person i'm a you know whatever floats your boat dude as long as you know you're not hurting anybody as long as you leave other people alone do do what you want to do right or you know do what works for you so there's those people that you know i need to go back into the office hey that's great there's those that hey i am more productive from uh, being remote and i've got the receipts to prove it that's that that's great but it's it's almost like people are looking for a fight right now that's what i Mm -hmm. see like that's the tone i see right now um on various social media outlets around uh remote work it's it's Mm -hmm. to pick a fight and because you do you have you know, honestly, both sides are very, very dogmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it, the office is the only way this can be done. Uh, all, all collaboration can only be done in person. Now, granted, it's great to have meetups. It's great to see everybody in person every once in a while. But collaboration could be done in many different ways. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've proven it. Lots of other companies have proven it. But again, I think... Um, I, I think a big part of it is people just don't want, well, maybe it's, it's two things. One, they don't want to admit that something is broken. Um, 
and, and two, I think we're just comfortable with the status quo where, you know, with the way things are, we don't want to rock the boat. Yeah, it's broken, but we, it's, it's our broken, <laughs> you know, we love mm-hmm. it that way. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of a lot of the, the fights. And I, I agree from the like extremism. I, I, I get turned off as much from the, <laughs> that was funny watching the dog come in running. That's funny. <laughs> I thought she was going to attack. Oh, I, I'm I'm clipping that part. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. So I oh, so I I get turned off as much from the blame everything on work from home people as I do on the hardcore remote work people. They mm-hmm. they both irritate me to to knowing. In fact, there's a couple guys on Twitter that I ended up blocking that are like pro remote work guys because they're like it's it's they're too extreme they're too fundamentalism like they're just they 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 think that this is the one and only way and if you don't do it this exact way you're you're doing it wrong you know mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway sorry I, I had to laugh at that um yeah and, and i mean like with anything when when there, there there's two polarizing you know two polarizing sides to it people default to just what they've been doing. So, you know, both sides lose, lose the argument when it, when it's hardcore. Um, yeah, we don't, one way or the other. Anything, we don't come up with anything workable because it's, 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 it's much more complicated than to say every problem is solved by being in the office or every problem is solved by being remote. Like it's, it's way more complicated than that. And, mm-hmm. and if you're not willing and, and open to talking about, well, what are the good things that happen in the office and what are the good things that happen remotely? Then we're not going to come up with a scenario that, that works for, for most people. And that's, mm-hmm. that's frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, so where I was, I was looking to, to, to use the remote, uh, work piece to, to pivot, um, to, to our topic today, because I think you know, working remotely, um, you know, the topic today plays plays into that, the, the ability to actually do it. Because if we look at, you know, remote work, there is a certain set of skills you need. There is um, experience and discipline that you, you need to work remote successfully. Because I, I've been telling you for years, every time I tell people that I work from home 100%, and at this point have been doing it seven and a half years, uh, people are like, oh man, I couldn't do that because I get distracted by this and I get get distracted by that. You know, the dishes in the sink would bug me, you know, the pile of laundry would, would bug me, but like those things would bug me and I wouldn't actually get any, any work done. I would, I, I I'd be doing chores around the house all day. And honestly, that is a fair argument. Like it's one thing, like I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I will throw a load of laundry in, you know, uh, at lunchtime during the day i will i'll do those little things at points throughout the day but yeah. it doesn't become the only thing i do because i believe like i've developed the discipline to be able to like okay i'm actually going to take a break from work and clear my head and by doing that i'm going to to to, to fold the laundry i'm going to do this i'm going to do that uh, i'll go empty the the dishwasher um you know the, those cliche things the anti work from home people always yeah. always bring up so just throwing somebody in and especially if uh, I immediately come to, you know, what comes to mind is, is, are, you know, people fresh out of college, you know, new to, 
you know, full-time professional workforce, they, you know, being thrown into that, they will, will struggle. And I'm yeah, trying not to yeah, jump too sure. far ahead. No, no, so no. really, you know, I, I've kind of haven't really, I've touched on it. I've tried to intro it in a very, very meandering way, but <laughs> the, the topic for today, and it's actually a series I want to start. We've touched on this over the last three years since we started podcasting, we've touched on this in different ways. We've had, you know, it, it's come up during episodes. It's we've had a couple episodes around it, but I really want to formalize and kick off a series about it, about career experience. So today I want to kick off, kick it off with talking about experience within our industry, analytics specifically. You know, we we've talked about you and I have talked about how we've gotten to where we are. We've took, we took two totally different paths and, and we've, we've talked about before how our industry doesn't have a, a set education and career path, like being a doctor, being a teacher, being a lawyer, those, those careers have a proven path or not, I don't want to say proven, but they have a determined path. That's the word to use a determined path to get, you know, you go, to one of these types of schools, you go for this long, you, you take, you know, if you're a doctor, you take a residency at some point, um, you know, as a teacher during your college years, you're going to do student teaching. Ours is very, very different. And, and that, that's the one thing I love about our industry. You have people from all different kinds of backgrounds that have all been drawn to, to this type of, th this type of work. Um, so how, how do people gain experience? Because now, especially with the growing trend toward remote, uh, you know, that, that move being accelerated, yeah. um, how do people get experience? And by the way, I do want to caveat this is, is I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of our, our friend, Stephen Marshall, uh, at East Tennessee state university. I want to have him on as part of this series, um, to talk about what he's doing again, like the, some of the updates to, to his program with the school and what they're doing. You know, I feel like he's got a phenomenal program on yeah. getting the students he works with real world experience. Cause you know, you think about it last episode, we touched on internships, you know, sometimes, sometimes internships, really teach you what the career is about. Sometimes you're just extra, extra labor. Uh, sometimes it teaches you things you didn't realize or were expecting to be taught. Right. Uh, but like, you know, and sometimes you, you don't get the real world experience with it. He makes sure you, you do. So I do want to caveat that. I am definitely working to get him back on the episode, on the show to talk about that. Um, so that is a very long meandering, um, introduction to the topic and it is um it, it, it's very very broad but without you know since, since we've touched on it before i don't want to necessarily go into our past where we've been people can go back and, and look up those episodes in fact i know there's one very very early on uh we did with john uh about like how we got here so i'm going to yeah. link that one up okay. in the show notes so i don't want to revisit that but with with our industry in particular you know when people were to come to you and say, how can I get experience doing this? How can I break into this space? What are some things that immediately come to mind for you? <laughs> yeah. And we're, um, and, and, and quick, uh, quick side, uh, note, people should subscribe to our YouTube channel so they can watch the behind the scenes of the creating of the podcast and watch me eat lunch. So just a shout out to subscribe to the YouTube channel there. Um, <clears throat> 
Yeah, so we're talking about, you know, students breaking in, but but really, I think as we talk about this, it's people breaking into the industry um, because I've talked with, with lots of people that have said, you know, that maybe two or three jobs deep into their career saying, I want to get into analytics. I have no idea how to get experience so I can get into analytics. So, you know, while I think it, it makes sense to talk about it from a student perspective, I, I believe a lot of what we will talk about is is beneficial for people of any stage of their career looking to to break in. Um, but it's it is the fundamental challenge with um, I can't get a job because I don't have experience, but I can't get experience because I can't get the job. Um, it's it's that that constant conundrum. Um, and and university is is challenging um, from that aspect and. Yeah, I mean, I think having Stephen back on, first of all, I think people love hearing from him. Um, but secondarily, I, I believe he'd give some really valuable insight into this in that um, it's uh, it's challenging at the university level to teach a trade, oftentimes, I think, um, in that uh, a lot of what you end up learning often becomes outdated. Think about going into a four-year program and studying something your freshman year, four years in technology is a lifetime. Like think of think of how much has changed in just four years. So um, a lot of the technology you may have learned four years ago when you started school to when you're graduating now could be completely different. And so I, I think there are some very real challenges with teaching specific technologies balanced out with teaching frameworks and things that regardless of the technology or name brand that you can apply with balancing out with that name brand recognition of, well, I can't get a job because I don't have experience with Google Analytics coming out of college. So how do I get it? You know, it's tough. It's challenging. I, I, but I think what we've seen at East Tennessee State is uh, I I think a a program that can be um, replicated in that not only is it giving students hands-on real world experience with specific technologies and software, which is important. What's more important is they're giving students exposure to real world problems. And to me, that is what is the most valuable piece of learning experience. And if as a as a employer looking to bring on a potential employee, that to me is going to probably come across much more than Oh, I learned about Adobe Analytics, or I learned about Google Analytics in my in my training. Yeah, and as you were saying that, I was thinking back to to my college experience, and the more I thought about, like a lot of the classes I had, a lot of it just taught theory, or taught, um, or or taught this is the way it should be. The, you know, it teaches hypotheticals. And that was one of the first things when, um, you know, I, I well, actually, I, I had started working a job which turned into my first full time job. I started working that before I actually even started my senior year. So as I'm doing some of my senior year work, and there were, I remember a couple professors up there talking about, well, this this is the way it's going to work. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm really starting to doubt some of this stuff because I'm seeing, I am actually at, the po- at this point in the real world. And things don't always go down this way, or they don't always fit the, the, this perfect model. So you need to be able to adjust. And 
And yeah, like that, that's one of the things looking back at the program yeah. that I had, there wasn't a lot of real world application in the program that I had. There was, it was a lot more theory and hypotheticals and this is the way it should be. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part about it um, is again, you, you can teach the hands-on pieces, but you have to be really, really careful to not teach something just hands-on that may be completely outdated. Um, there has to be a balance of a framework and a theory with actual real world application. And in my opinion, that's where higher ed right now is struggling the most, unless you mentioned a few, um, professions where I think it, it makes sense, law, health, um, it makes sense how those programs are structured, but business and other things that are technology related or that are so incredibly fluid. Um, it's, it's challenging and, and both sides of that extreme, you know, we started off this conversation talking about people taking up camps on both sides of the extreme of the work from home debate. Um, if, if we look at both sides of the extreme of higher education, on, on the one hand, if you go too trade oriented, where it's really you're teaching the tools, you run a very real risk that those tools will be outdated. And the student is not going to know how to transition that knowledge from tool A that was taught to tool B, which is now being used. It's a real problem. On, on the other extreme, and we see this all the time, if all you do is teach theory, you, you get students coming out that are very theoretically sound and driven that are unable to apply their learnings to the real world because the yes. real world is messy and it never works that way. So while that theory may work perfectly in a controlled environment, in a sterile lab, it's not going to work in the world, real world unless you have the ability to be uh, flexible and creative in coming off of the extreme ideals of the theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and thinking back, like there, there were several classes that immediately come to mind where that was the cognitive dissonance I had after, after I graduated, after I got out into the field full time. And so I was working in technology implementation, but just uh, in, in a different space uh, when I first, you know, got, got out of college and the the disconnect was is even though i kind of started to recognize it through my senior year getting into it full time i i realized like there's but you know like you know college always said no it should be this way it should be this way and you're finding out that it isn't always that way so yeah like you definitely need you know a, a level of that but also you know finding ways to show that like it it always doesn't go this way. And it by the never, way, I do want to say it goes that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the best classes I had in college that I think back to was called intro to logic. It was an elective. And one of the best things was, is it taught me how to think it taught me how to construct an argument and all as well as deconstruct an argument, you know, how to, how to make, how to argue for something. Um, and, and how to how to debate and it was it, it was a great course i knew we were going to be friends forever my one of my favorite courses uh was intro to logic um 
it was in the philosophy department. It was one of the required electives for my information management system, information systems management degree. Um, and I loved the class so much that I took after that inductive logic. After that, I took deductive logic. And after that I, that, I took four more philosophy and logic classes because they were so incredibly interesting. I think I ended up graduating with like 28 more humanities credits than I needed to graduate. <laughs> but yeah, I just loved those classes. And I mean, that, that type of thing is something that can be applied, right? Like those are the types of classes and frameworks that that's not going to change in four years, right? That, that is a, a structure that you can use and, and have as an extremely valuable piece, <coughs> sorry, of, of what you do. As far as the, the more challenging pieces, the kind of the technical components, um, whether we're talking about analytics or development or design, um, that's, that's more challenging. And one of my favorite classes actually forced real world experience on me. So I took a, uh, a class in um, software design. Uh, the software we were using was uh, Microsoft Visual Basic. Um, which which was a pretty approachable language to create both the front end and back end code, um, and our project was the the professor had gone out into the community and found um, a handful of local businesses that had a problem that needed to be solved, and then assigned us to a business and said, "Go meet with them, do requirements gathering, design your solution, and then build a prototype for them in the space of the semester." I probably learned more from that class than, than any other class about just the art of building software, because it was that sure we had, um, we had all of that, that theory and, and, you know, here's how to write little programs to do X and Y. Um, but none of it was applied to the real world. They had real problems. They had real users that you had to work with and stakeholders that changed their minds and real issues you ran into. So for me, I was assigned to the local trade school. Um, and, and for one of their, their classes, um, they wanted students to clock in and out. And so they had a little laptop and I wrote a pretty simple visual basic program that had a backend database behind it that allowed the students, it was basically a time clock that allowed the students to come in and enter their student ID. It would clock them in, they would come, they would leave, they would enter their student ID and it clocked them out and it created a bunch of reports. And I was pretty proud of it. It was super yeah. cool. Um, and it gave me a ton of real world experience and it gave me a ton of confidence, honestly, in, in doing that. Uh, so I would say as students um, or, you know, someone at, at the university level, I would look for those types of classes. And they're probably going to be fairly rare um, where you have a mix of theory and, and teaching the fundamentals with somehow blending it with a real world experience. If you can't find that, there is nothing saying that you should not go and look for that on your own. And, and that's what I did my junior year, senior year of college is that's what I did is I went and found a job that I thought would give me the opportunity to apply a lot of the technology that I was learning on the job. And so I got a job at a collections agency. Uh, my job was doing data entry. Uh, all of that was boring. 
But what it did is it gave me access to a lot of data and a lot of data input. And um, I spent a lot of my time not doing data entry. I would get my work done fast. I typed at that time like 132 words a minute. So I could do a lot of data entry really quickly. And I would spend the rest of my time thinking about there's got to be a better way to do this. Can I build a system? Can I write some software? Can I do something to make this more efficient? And so while it wasn't what I was hired to do, the job gave me the opportunity to, to do that. And, and so I, I've, I've, I've kind of shared that story with lots of students, but not even students, people that are already working. Um, I've shared this same kind of philosophy is, you know, they they come to me with the same question. I want to get into analytics, but I can't get a job in, in analytics because I don't have experience. I'm like, I guarantee you that you're working right now in a job where there's data available, where either input or output or stored somewhere that you can access as part of your job, and you can start being an analyst. You can start thinking about data right now. I guarantee it. And so rather than waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect internship or the perfect create it, make it, make it happen. Um, you have the ability to do that. So whether that's that you're at school and you're trying to find the right class or trying to find a job that while it may not be the, the description of what you want, just getting the job to give you the opportunity or you already have a job and using that as the foundation to say, okay, what's around me and how can I start using that to expand what my role is to start involving some analysis related components. Mm -hmm. And you just said a lot there. Um, and I'll, I'll sum up each of them that I think all comes around to core skills needed to work in analytics. So the first thing I noted down was when we were talking about like the, the courses in college around logic and, and humanities and stuff like that, you know, the, the, uh, the skills, the soft skills of, you know, being how, you know, knowing how to argue and debate and how that, that, that being transferable. I mean, I would say that's one of the core skills needed to work in analytics. Um, you know, a few examples being, you know, being a consultant, how to convince your client that, you know, your solution is what they need, um, to move forward with a, a certain solution. If you, you know, work client side, you know, using the data to convince management above you about what you found, because I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen where management makes a decision, the data shows something else and they ignore the data. So being able to argue on behalf of the findings and going against what might be the corporate norm. Um, and then the other piece that you were talking about there is, is going out and, you know, um, not taking advantage that, that, that doesn't sound right, but, um, using the opportunities that are around. That's, around yes. You. Yeah. You using those opportunities and finding the opportunities that, that, that present themselves. That is also just a skill in and of itself. So it's not just the hard skills you learn from those opportunities that come up. It's looking for, for those opportunities yeah. because the one thing, you know, like, that's not going to happen in this space, whether, you know, if you look at analytics as a whole, you can, you, you can split it into two areas. There's the technical instrumentation mm -hmm. and the, the, the data connection. And then there's the usage of the data through reporting analysis, insights, personalization. 
in neither of those two um, camps is the problem and the solution. Are they both going to jump out at you and say, here I am, right? If you're an analyst, uh, which I am not, but if you're an analyst, there isn't going to be a button that you go in and press and say, oh, show me this specific thing. That's not going to happen. You have to go hunt and look for yeah. it yourself. <clears throat> yeah. And something you said really, really resonated with me. Um, and I'm trying to think back to the word that, that um, the words that you use, but uh, I think it was around the logic classes or the being able to think critically and reason things through. It's, it's something that sidetracks way too many people we get. And, and this isn't to say, again, that learning the technology, the specific technologies isn't important. It is. Um, but that often is a barrier for lots and lots of people. So again, if, you know, learning Adobe Analytics or getting big data sets and learning R, you know, may be very difficult to approach for a lot of people. So they throw their hands up and say, you know, I can't get real world experience doing that. So I can't get experience. So I can't do this. And I think, um, that's a problem because sure that, that part is important, but there's so much more out there that is available to you, um, that you should be focusing on that provides amazing value in this space and many others that we just don't see. This comes up a lot when people ask me what business books or what analytics books have you read and have you read that have had the biggest impact on your career? And they're expecting me to say something about some book about, you know, data analysis with Python or, you know, thinking about business fundamental, like, when I answer that the, the books that have had the biggest impact on me in an, from an analytics perspective are the Dowdy Ching and Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And people are like, what? Well, I mean, those aren't analytics books. I'm like, yeah, they, they absolutely are. And I'm like, those aren't business books. I'm like, yeah, they, they absolutely are. Um, there, there's so much that we can learn about breaking down complex problems, thinking logically, um, taking something that's fundamentally very complex and making it simple, not to dumb it down, but take it and break it down into its component pieces so we can attack a problem in a reasonable way. That's what we do all day long, whether we're doing implementation or we're doing an analysis or we're setting up an optimization program. A lot of what we do is dealing with complex things that we're trying to make more, more reachable, we're dealing with things that we're trying to break down into understandable components and being able to clearly articulate and communicate those with people that may not have our, our background, um, thinking logically about complex issues, um, using logic to break down challenges. Not, not, not once did I say Google Analytics, not once did I say R. Again, I don't want to devalue having specific knowledge of software. Um, but there's so much more that goes into being a good analyst and being a good implementer than just the underlying technology. And I, you, you absolutely can see it from a services perspective. Um, when you're dealing with a consulting agency, those agencies that take a tool specific approach versus those agencies that take a, we're trying to resolve a problem or solve a problem approach. Yep. What right. you just said, I was writing it down to make sure I didn't forget this. What you just said is the tool is not the solution. 
the tool is the tool. Whether you solve that through a custom dimension in Google Analytics and EVAR right. in Adobe Analytics, in a way, I'm going to say it, it doesn't matter which one you use. The salute, the tool is not the solution. The solution is the thought process you went through to fully diagnose what the problem was and then come up with the best way to solve it with the tool or address it with the tool. Sing, so it from, sing it from the rooftops, man. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's the challenge. And from an analytics perspective, we see that all the time where we go into businesses and they say, we can't get any value out of our analytics. And we look at their implementation and we're like, okay, well, it's very clear that whoever implemented this took a Google analytics centric approach or took an Adobe analytics centric approach to solving your problem rather than saying, Let's solve this problem from an analytics, from a data architecture perspective, and then align the tool to that. It, it's, it's fundamentally different and it completely changes the way that you address problems and the outcomes to those problems. Um, and ultimately it creates much more long-term sustainable value to, to think that way. And, and unfortunately, we see it all the time. And I'm sure our listeners can probably see it. Just look at the companies that we work in. Um, how many solutions do we have in our MarTech stack? Let's start there. Uh, let's, let's, let's think about the meetings that we're sitting in. And we say, you know what? We have a problem with our checkout flow. Well, if we buy uh, this screen replay tool, it's going to solve our problem. If you're hearing things like that, you know you have this problem of being tool first, that we're going to buy a tool and it's going to solve the problem. Hell, we see this in the remote space. You know, buy this tool and it's going to solve all your remote work problems. No, no. The tools will help support the solutions, but unless you address the underlying causes and issues you're trying to solve for, the tools aren't, aren't going to magically solve that for you. But, mm -hmm. but we've been taught... By really slick sales and marketing in the MarTech space that it does. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't. Or fortunately, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, those that I see as, you know, those that, I, I've, uh, that I've worked with that, you know, throughout my career that have, you know, again, success is, you know, um, relative but you know using the word success those that are the most successful those that are at the top of their game with this are the ones that yes they have the tool experience they know the details of the tool but they don't fill up on just tool knowledge they know where to find more information if they need it they have honed the skills on how to assess a situation how to assess a problem not jump immediately to to instrumentation and know how to argue on what the solution is you know arguing for the solution that they determine absolutely and again those are all skills that you can learn without the tool yeah and and i think that's really an important lesson to take away from this conversation is if you've convinced yourself that you can't break in because you don't have the experience with x and y tools you're missing out on really the most valuable things that you can be learning that have really nothing to do with the tools. And what's amazing about that is the tool becomes less and less important and it doesn't matter what company you walk into. It doesn't matter what tools they have or what you may bring in, what value you can bring to that company isn't changing because it's not tied to the tool. 
It's tied to the way that you think about data, the way you break down complex problems. That that doesn't matter. What tool you have? I, again, I don't want to I don't want to undermine the value of specific tools, but the importance is not letting the tool drive the conversation, letting your logic and your your vision drive the solution, and then picking a a, a tool that best aligns with that. But most do it the other way around. Yeah. In fact, they do it the other way around so much that in some very, very big companies, they have whole departments and job titles that mimic the name of software solutions. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. I am there. There, I know people that their job title is Salesforce something, Adobe Analytics something. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. what happens if you guys change tools? Like. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now you're using the word tool and solution interchangeably, you know, like, you know, you're, you're using that and that just goes to show how the word solution has, in my opinion, become diluted. Yeah. Um, it is, it's synonymous with the tool itself, you know, just, you know, you said it before and to, to reiterate it, just implement this tool and the problem goes away. That's not always true. In fact, it usually makes the problem worse. When worse. That approach. Because yeah. now you've just added one more level of complexity on top of it. And, you know, now you're, you're, you're solving the problems that come with the tool itself and not necessarily the original problem. Yeah. It's this vicious cycle. It, it really is. And it goes back to how we started this conversation with remote work. If, if we're going to deflect the conversation to being in the office or being remote, we're missing the opportunity to un- to really address the real problems, and the same in this conversation. If if we're deflecting the conversation to tool A versus tool B, we're missing out on a great opportunity to address the underlying needs that we're trying to to solve for. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of bring it full full circle, um, talking about getting experience for someone that wants to break in this industry. Again, I think that this roadblock of the tool knowledge being what's holding you back is a barrier we shouldn't be putting in front of ourselves because while it may seem like the easy foot in the door, oh, I know, you know, X, Y, and Z, I know Oracle, I know Salesforce, I know Google. Sure, that may be an easy foot in the door, but long-term having that as your entry and your approach I think is going to do a lot of damage to your career. You're, you're pigeonholing yourself into being a, a line operator. Like I use this tool rather than mm-hmm. being a creative thinker and problem solver. Yeah. Don't ever hit your wagon to one tool, one system, one vendor. That's good advice across the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great um, so, advice for a career. It's great advice for people building solutions as well. Think about how many businesses have built up building their solution on top of someone else's solution. And then that solution they built on top of changes the game and now they're done. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a shaky foundation at best. Yes. Um, so I, you know, as, as we start to wrap up, I'll leave with this one story and I think I may have told it before, but I want to tell it again, because I think it's apropos, um, to this. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, when I was a senior in college, I was actually already working for a company part-time. Um, and then eventually I was hired on full-time after I graduated. And 
like what you were talking about earlier, like finding opportunities and just getting in there and, and finding the experience, uh, through a friend, I found out about this, this small company, not too far from, you know, where I was living at the time, uh, out here in suburban Philadelphia. And they started as a printing business, but they were making a pivot into software and building, uh, software tools for, for a particular industry. And they had offered someone I know a position. They just needed someone to work part-time doing, um, you know, like building out the tool and helping test it and, and, and whatnot. But they, um, they were actually moving away. They were transferring schools and they were leaving. Um, so I'm like, all right, get me the name. I'll call the person. And I did. And it was just, they, because they approached them with, well, we hear, you know, how to operate a computer. Now you got to think back, this is summer of 2001. So, you know, for me, I kind of grew up on that cusp as computers were becoming ubiquitous. Um, so you had a software division The people know how to, you know, obviously these were coders and programmers, but they were looking for someone like this was still like, believe it or not, God, it was 21 years ago. You know, this, this was the, I'm going to use dare say it. This is the day and age where it's like, oh, you know how to use a computer here, right? You, you know how to work around office and, and, and Excel and these other things. And, um, you know, that's how they approached it. So, uh, I did, I, I literally called the guy up, I cold called him. I said, I know so-and-so, um, I know how to work a computer too. I'm very familiar with the office suite. I'm familiar with this. We're familiar with that. It's like, all right, come on in for an interview. We shot the shit for 30 minutes. And next thing you know, I was working there three days a week, you know, while I'm yeah. a, a senior in college. <clears throat> and it was really cool because I sat in this bullpen area with all these other developers. So, you know, I, I would come in at, you know, various <laughs> times during the day. I'd come in between classes and work for a few hours and go back to school. And like, I just, it, it was like how I kind of picked up various things and talk about like frameworks and how to organize things and do that. Sitting in this bullpen area with, with these folks, it was, it, it was, it was interesting. I look back fondly on those days. Yeah. It's such great advice. Um, although hard advice to hear for us introverts in that, you know, we, we, we often take a very passive approach in, in employment to getting what we want. It's, oh, I saw a job, job opening. I submitted a application. I sent in my resume. Now I'll sit back and wait. The reality is, is that most of the jobs go to people that go out and get it. And again, as an introvert, that's hard to hear because we're, you know, that makes us nervous and our hands sweat a bit, but making that call, reaching out saying, this is what I want. I want to make this happen those are the people that are getting the jobs. Um, and if you want to break into analytics, you know, that's what it's going to take. I, you know, waiting for the perfect job opening or internship to pop up is probably not going to work out. Identifying a company or an opportunity and walking in the door and saying, here I am, let's do this. Um, that's how it works. Um, not, not only just the first job, but the 10th job as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so a fun, fun little story to, yeah. to, to end on. I like it. Cool. Well, this was fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now then and uh, catch everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. 
If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.